You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. Good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, lots of great things happening in the life of the church. want to just reiterate the marriage conference uh, happening on February 14th and 15th. We always have an incredible uh, weekend when it comes to our marriage conferences. And this year, we've got some great speakers. Uh, we're, we're actually um, introducing our new pastor of development that we have just hired on this weekend. Uh, he is from Atlanta. He's married. He's got two kids, one in college, one in high school, and uh, he's going to be teaching some breakouts. He's been in ministry for over 20 years, um, and, and I cannot wait for you guys to meet Heath. Uh, it's going to be an incredible weekend. It's on Valentine's Day weekend, so what better way to, to, to love your spouse than to invest in your relationship together? And so it's uh, always a lot of fun. I hope uh, that you will register uh, today. We're in a series that we're calling Previval, and we're asking the question, what do we do? How do we prepare for revival, uh, a movement of God, an awakening of God? And, and uh, we said week one that a revival is essentially at its core. It, it just simply means to bring back to life. And so in the series, we're praying that God would bring us back to life, that God would awaken us, that God would send revival to our hearts. And, and uh, our hope is that the, the overflow of the revival that God does in our hearts and in this church would overflow into the city and that we would see people come to faith and that we would see uh, prodigals return, that we would see those who are far from God brought to God, that those who are kind of apathetic or, or kind of asleep at the wheel, their spiritual life would be reawakened and they would have new passion and new energy to love and to pursue Jesus. And so we said week one that in order for us to, to begin to prepare for that, it, it looks like this. It looks like we humble ourselves. It looks like we pray and we seek the face of God. It looks like turning from sin in our own life. And so that's what we've been focusing on. Our pre-vival nights on Wednesday nights have been incredible. Uh, we've been teaching people how to pray. We've been praying and practicing it together. And this week uh, on Wednesday night, we've got uh, another opportunity to, to teach you a method of prayer that I, I think will embolden your prayer life and, and reawaken that prayer life. Because, you know, as we talk about prayer in this series, what we're, what we're bumping our heads up against is that we all wanna do better and sometimes we just don't know how. And we get bored in our prayer life or we pray and things don't happen and so that frustrates us and life is busy and things happen and then we, we just set our relationship with the Lord to the side and we forget this dynamic opportunity that we have that he calls prayer to engage with our Heavenly Father, to, to hear from Him, to have His presence fill us in unique ways as we slow our heart down, as we slow our mind down, and as we talk to our Creator. And, and so that's where we've been. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in England in uh, World War II era, and he said this about revival. He said, a revival is a miracle. It's miraculous, exceptional phenomenon, it's the hand of the Lord, and it is mighty. A revival, in other words, is something that can only be explained as the direct action and intervention of God. Man, I, I wanna see that. I wanna experience that in my own life. Jonathan Edwards, the famous uh, pastor in New England in the 1700s who was one of the main leaders in the first uh, Great Awakening, he said the results of revival were enlivened congregational worship. Witnessing by the people, new converts were added, and folks desiring a deeper spiritual life. 
There was also emotion in which people would come from church singing and praising God. So, so the idea here is that this is what we want to see, new converts coming to Christ, the, the church witnessing and telling people about Jesus, enliven worship, that we would seek and desire a deeper spiritual life. This is revival. This is what I hope to see, I hope it is what you hope to see, and it is what we are praying for as a church as we start 2020. I hope that you've started our 21-day devotion. You can always jump in on that if you haven't. It's on our app, uh, also on our website. By doing that, our, our hearts are aligning and seeking God as a church. You know, all throughout history, God has provided spiritual awakenings. Uh, we can go back to the spiritual dark times of the life of Israel and how at various times God would send an awakening and, and, and encourage the people to repent and to turn to him and they would experience these awakenings and blessings that follow. When we look at the spiritual dark ages, um, of the actual dark ages, God is, is, is sending the reformation through men uh, like John Calvin and, and Martin Luther, and so great revival happening in that time frame. Uh, when the enlightenment began to hit, uh, atheism and secular, secularism was on the rise. God sent to England and to the Americas the first and second great awakenings in the 1700s and early 1800s. Later, we see uh, Billy Graham's crusade beginning in the 50s where, where he would preach to thousands and, and over the course of his career traveling the world, we see great revival uh, breaking out and people coming to faith. Another Baptist pastor by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. is preaching the gospel in the 60s, praying for change. Um, and he would later become, obviously, the leader of the civil rights movement that led to so many basic civil rights for African Americans in our country. He was instrumental in his preaching ministry, influencing other pastors, even white pastors in the South specifically, to, to engage and to actually begin to, to see the injustice that African Americans were experiencing at that time. And, and out of preaching, out of gospel ministry, we see the civil rights birthed and uh, we celebrate his legacy tomorrow. I ask about today, what about today? What, what is God gonna use today? Is he done? I mean, it's been, it, it, it seems like it's been years since we've seen a, a, a revival like Jonathan Edwards would speak of and, and transformation in our country that we saw in the 60s as it relates to civil rights. Like when, how, what is God gonna do today? And, and, and what people will he choose to lead that movement? Might there be a young Billy Graham in the room, a young Martin Luther King Jr. in the room that would have the faith and the boldness and the leadership and the passion to serve Jesus that would then lead to social change and would then lead to an influx of, of other ministries in the community? I believe they sit in the room. And I believe as a church, that's our heart, we want to crave an awakening and create uh, uh, and, and crave a new passion in our heart for the Lord. So we can't create this ourselves. Only God can send this. But my desire is that we would seek it, we would pray for it, we would want it in our life. And so the last few weeks, this is where we've been at. And uh, we focused on prayer. 
uh, last Sunday, and uh, that last Sunday was really part one, and today is, is part two of really how to pray. And so in Matthew 6, the disciples are coming to Jesus, and they're saying, how do we pray? And he goes, okay, you want to learn how to pray? Here's the model prayer. And remember, the model prayer is not a, a prayer that we're supposed to memorize and recite before ball games. The model prayer is a prayer that we use as a guide and so the guide started last week and, 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 and we saw some important things. First of all, Jesus told us to develop the habit of prayer. And when you pray, he said, assuming that we were gonna pray because we are followers of Christ and so we're going to pray, develop that, that prayer time. And so the, the encouragement then was determine a time and a place. What time are you gonna pray every day? What place are you gonna go to to pray every day? Jesus said to go into your room and shut the door and pray to him in secret. Time and place is important. He told us to pray creatively, not just using empty phrases over and over again. That gets really boring and that's why some of you have walked away from a dynamic prayer life. You've bored yourself to death with it. Jesus says be creative about it. And then he says, understand who you're talking to. He says, our Father who is in heaven. So he is our father who is a loving, caring father and he wants us to seek him. So let's pick up in verse nine. He continues, he says, verse nine, pray then like this. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <laughs> and then it's just over. It's short. People say, how long are we supposed to pray? Am I supposed to pray for an hour? Am I supposed to pray for 15 minutes? What's it supposed to be? I don't know. Jesus gave us about, you know, he, he gave us about four or five verses here. It took me about 20 seconds to, to pray that, to read that prayer. You know, I think we get caught up on, on all the boxes that we like to create for prayer. And Jesus is like, look, look, you guys are complicating this and you're making it way harder than it needs to be. And, and, and you're making it something that it's not supposed to be. Here's the model, follow the model. And, and, and so what is he saying here? The first thing that he's saying here, and you might wanna write this down. He says, I want you to start your prayer with declaring God's greatness, how great God's name is, how great God is. And so he wants us to start with this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now the word hallow is not a word that we use often. It's not something that we walk around saying uh, today, but the, the, the term is a, an extremely important word. It's a word that simply means that we are making something sacred, that we make something ultimate in our life. To hallow something means that we are seeking to make it the most important thing in our life. So we hallow the name of God. By hallowing the name of God, we are making him the ultimate thing. We are making him the most important thing in our life. And Jesus says, this is how prayer should start. It shouldn't just start with all your wish list. It should start with hallowing the name of Jesus. So we are seeking to make him the most important thing in our life. And this is the, really the point of all of life, isn't it? It's the purpose of life is to hallow the name of Jesus, to, to, to make him the sacred thing, to make him the priority of our life and to value his greatness in our life. And so this is how we start our prayer. 
So let's ask a question here that I think will help us dial in on what in our life are we currently making and esteeming as the highest value in our life? What are we currently value, valuing the most? What are we making the ultimate thing in our life? Is it God? Are we hallowing the name of God by making him the priority of our life? Here's a question that helps us get to that answer. The question is this. What does your behavior look like when you're all alone? Because what you do when you're all alone, what you do when nobody's making you do anything, your boss isn't making you do something, your teacher isn't making you do something, your wife's not making you do something, like what are you doing in that moment when you can do essentially whatever you wanna do and you're all alone? You see, when you're alone, when there's nothing you have to do, what do you think about? What are you thinking about? What, what are you spending your time doing in those moments? Because here's the reality, what you do in secret reveals what you really value. It reveals what you really adore in your life. So what is the thing that you believe is crucial in your life today, the most important thing, the priority in your life? Look at what you're doing when you're all alone. Look at what you're doing when you are, you know, you don't have anything else to do and it, it, you're kind of in a private environment. What are you doing in that moment? For some of you, when you think about that, and if you were honest, you would, you would learn that, okay, what I do when I'm on my own, when I don't have anything else to do, I, I just kind of focus on work. Because ultimately, the most important thing in, in, in that heart is achievement. I've got to achieve something. And so when I don't have things going on, when I'm all alone, I still work because I, I, I wanna achieve something. And, and I wanna achieve something because it makes me feel good about myself and it makes me feel valuable and it makes me feel like I'm doing something important, right? So the ultimate thing for you is achievement. For some very closely tied to achievement, it might be money. Because when you're all alone, what are you thinking about? How can I make more money? I'm gonna work a little bit harder and I'm gonna do some more stuff to get the edge at work so that I can make more. The most crucial thing for you in that moment of private contemplation, what are you thinking about? More money. For some of you, it's sex. When you're all alone, when, when there's nothing else going on, when you are in that moment by yourself, you're, 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 you're pursuing a fantasy world. And, and sex becomes the ultimate thing for you. That's what you think about. That's what you're pursuing. And you're looking at things that would, would spark that sinful desire. So, some of us, is just entertainment, TV. And so in the moments where there's nothing else to do, in those moments when I'm all alone, I'm just gonna veg out. And I'm just gonna watch uh, episode after episode after episode of Stranger Things. And it's just gonna, until the Demogorgon is dead and gone and in the other world. And not, not that I watch it, but I've heard about it. That's a good movie. Uh, what do you do in those moments when you're all alone? You see, if God is not hallowed in your life, if, if he is not the most crucial thing, the only time you'll ever pray is when you're in trouble. And that's where many of us kind of find ourselves. You see, consistency of a prayer life in your life, you know, 
that consistency of a prayer life and praise that is in your life when you are doing that in private, in secret, when there's nothing else that you have to do and so your decision and your desire is to pursue God in prayer shows that you really value God, that he's the crucial thing, that he's the most important pursuit of your life. That's why Jesus says, go into your room in secret, close the door. Because when you are in a private setting all alone, and you're, you're, you, what you're doing is you're valuing in a busy world with a lot going on in your life, with everything else that's happening, with a consistent prayer life, you are saying, I hallow the name of God. I wanna get away, I wanna get with God, and I wanna carve out this time every single day because I esteem and value, I hallow, I seek to make him the most important thing in my life. And that, folks, is one of the most powerful ways that you show what you really value. And that's why he says prayer has to start here. It starts with hallowing the name of God. So the question is, do you praise God in secret? Do you do that? That's the ultimate test. The ultimate test of where your worship is and what you value is are you seeking him in a private place? Or, or okay, all right, Sunday morning, we know you're worshiping God, right? We see each other, we saw you singing, you maybe lifted your hand, this is fantastic. But what about Monday and Tuesday? Are you, are you seeking the presence of God? Are you hallowing the name of Jesus? The only thing that overcomes spiritual maturity in our life is when we consistently seek God on our own. Nobody's making us do it. It's that desire, it's that time. We shut the door, we get away, and we hallow the name of God. We esteem the name of God. We seek to make him the priority in our life. You see, prayer as a demonstration that God is my ultimate value. He is the ultimate prize in our life. And Jesus says, this is where it starts. It starts right here. It starts with hallowing the name of Jesus, making him a priority. And so we've gotta, we've, we, we pursue it in that mindset. If you really wanna worship God, it's not just Sunday morning for an hour. You really put Jesus at the center of your life then it's, it's every day of your life that you spend with him in prayer and you, you, you put him in that rightful place. You declare his greatness by spending time with him, by, by declaring that greatness every single day. God, you are holy. You are my priority. God, you are the ultimate thing in my life. God, you are my sustainer. You are my rock. You are my refuge. In you, I trust. God, I come to you today lifting up your name. Hallowed be your name. I esteem your name. You are my priority. That's how we start prayer. That's how we declare the greatness of God. And then, then what does he say? Then he says, surrender your will. <laughs> and at this point, we're all probably like, I like step one. Let's go back to step one. I'm cool with that one. I don't know about surrendering my will to God. He says in verse 10, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the idea that in prayer, we are surrendering our will. And so again, we're kind of confronting some of our old ways of thinking about prayer because prayer isn't just a wish list to Santa Claus. God, I need you to change this this week and I have a test and so give me an A and God, I got this big meeting at work, make me do good, let me do a good job and get that promotion and 
You know, it's not just a list of all of these things. Remember last week we talked about how he already knows what we need. And so prayer is deeper. Prayer is more impactful. And, and, and the call for us is to surrender our will to him. Before I go to my needs, whatever the answer is, God, whatever it is that you want to do in my life, God, your kingdom before me, I am surrendering my will to you. Your agenda comes before my agenda. Your agenda comes before my, my spouse or my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my you know, paycheck. God, you, what you want. I want what you want, God. I know what I want. I know what I'm dying to have. I think I want this. I think this is what needs to happen, God, but I surrender this to you. And I say, God, your will be done. To say that to God and to really mean it is next level stuff. It's spiritual growth happening in your life. And this is the hard part. So what does it really mean to surrender? What does it really look like to actually surrender your will? Well, a couple of points I'll make. First thing it means is that you're surrendering, uh, surrendering your will means that you're letting go of control in your life. You're letting go of control. Every day you wake up, you and I have a decision to make. Who are we going to let control our life? Are we gonna let God control our life? Are we gonna wake up and are we gonna control it? Are we gonna take the wheel? Are we gonna take control of our life? I don't know what you're gonna face this week, but I can already tell you what God wants you to do. God wants you to trust that he's in control, not you. It's easy to say, but it's a lot more challenging to actually live out in our life. You see, when we face a situation that seems beyond our control, you're gonna do one of two things in your life. Um, You're either gonna uh, try harder to control the situation or you're just gonna give up. And so if you're gonna you know, experience a, 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 a trial, some difficulty in your life, you know, you're, you're gonna be tempted to, to just you know, try to control the situation even harder. And so the more insecure that you are, um, the, the harder that you try to control a situation, the more fearful you are about a situation, the more insecure you become, and the harder you try to control that situation, you try to control your spouse, you try to control your kids. Don't make that decision, don't do that. This is the wrong thing, this is the wrong. You try to control your kids, right? You try to control other situations, you just try harder. Or you just give up and you just become a victim. Oh, I can't change anything, so I'm done, I'm out. I'm just giving up on God, give up on church, give up on marriage, give up on my kids, just not gonna happen. You know, not gonna do anything about it. Nothing's gonna happen, so we just give up. Instead, you need to take the direction of Jesus that he gives us here, and we surrender our will to him. God, what you want, and let your will be done. The more we try to control the situation, the more that you and I try to sit in God's seat. And listen, when you try to sit in the seat of God, You never win because we're not in control. He is in control. You'll lose that battle every single time. And so as you're trying to gain more and more control, if you're trying to control that situation, it brings so much more stress and it brings so much more um, just emotional um, exhaustion in your life. 
You do not have the peace of God when you're trying to control that situation. And the best thing that you could do is follow the advice of Jesus and surrender your will. God, this is what I desire. This is what I want. I know you care about my desires. I know you care about what I want. But your will be done because I trust that whatever your will is, it's gonna be the right thing for me. And when you get to that place, that is a place of peace in your life. And when you surrender control, God grows you in incredible ways. Here's the second thing that surrendering means. Surrendering your will means you learn to be content. You learn to be content. Now, this is a challenging one because like for us, when we experience adversity and stuff, we wanna change the situation, but here's what we have, to, we have to learn. Like we can't change people, right? You can't change anybody. Uh, you, the only person you really have control over is yourself. I can control Trent, my actions, and so uh, if I want change in the situation, I look to myself and, 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 and I pray that God would change me outside of changing me. There's not a whole lot of control I have around the situation. And so what I have to learn to do is I have to learn to be content. If I'm really gonna surrender my will and if I'm really gonna accept the will of God, I've gotta learn to be content with the circumstances that he has given to me. It doesn't mean that, contentment doesn't mean that I'm, I'm satisfied with where I'm at. Contentment doesn't mean that, you know, I'm okay with these problems and I'm okay with, you know, what my kids are doing if they're doing something, you know, uh, not appropriate or whatever. I'm not okay with sin, but contentment means that there's this peace that overcomes you, that you are trusting in God's power and provision, that he is doing what needs to be done right now and resting that he's going to make things right at the appropriate time. I love what Paul says from prison in Philippians 4. Remember, from prison, not the Hilton, you know, in Barbados, from prison. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. So he's like, look, I've been humbled. I've, I've been in places where I don't have much, like right now when he's in prison, and I've, I've, I've had a lot. I've had a, I've had a lot of success. Remember before he turned to Christ, a lot of success, a lot of prestige, a lot of power in his life. He's, he's learned both. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I've been on both sides of the spectrum. I've, I've been wealthy, I've had everything I need, and, I, and I've been in prison, and I, I've been in a lot of need. In, in, in verse 13, he says, here's what he's learned. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now we like to put this on our cleats and our shoes and under our eyes and go play sports and that, you know, we like to take that verse to mean I'm gonna score some touchdowns or I'm gonna score a lot of points today but that's not the context of this. Um, what, what he's saying is in every circumstance, through Christ, I can be content with whatever happens, right? So really, you know, from an athletic standpoint, if we're gonna quote this verse, what we're saying when we quote that verse is, God, if I win or lose, I'm gonna be content. <laughs> that's not typically the way that we like to think of it, but that's really what it means. What he's teaching us here is, number one, being content is a learned habit. Just like prayer is something that we learn, being content is learned. So how do we learn it? He tells us, through Christ who gives me strength. Through Christ now, 
I'm learning to be content. I can't make myself content because that hunger in me and desire for material possessions grows on a daily basis. But through Christ, as I'm surrendering my will and as I'm surrendering to him and I'm asking him to make me content with the situation and what I have, now through him, he gives me the strength to say, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, this is tough. Yeah, this is hard, but I'm good. God is good. And every day he's giving me what I need and I understand it. Um, notice that he, he doesn't say that being content means that I'm discovering and I have all the answers. God has given me the answers. That's not what it means. For some of you, you think that to be content in your life and to find peace in your life, that God is gonna need to answer your questions. But the reality is, discovering the answer is not going to help. God never promises to give us all the answers to those questions. He promises us contentment. And we get that through knowing and seeking him. Getting answers to your specific questions won't help you surrender your will, won't help you become content. Those are, those are questions that may never be answered. And so we surrender by learning to be content. I read this week that when you're in school and you're taking a test, um, uh, the teacher wants everybody to be quiet and the teacher himself or herself is quiet, right? So the teacher administrates the test, hands it out, get your pen or your pencil out, take, your, take the test, everybody be quiet, and the teacher is quiet as well. The point was that if God seems silent in your life, maybe you're experiencing a test. And maybe you don't think you hear God's voice or you, you think that he feels distant. You want answers, but you don't get any because when God is silent in our life, sometimes that means we're going through a test. And going through a test, God wants you to learn how you're gonna react. He knows that what we're gonna do. He knows how we're gonna react, but he wants us to go through it so that we can learn how we responded and learn from that response. And so you think God is silent today? He's not silent. Maybe feel silent. Maybe it's because you're going through a test. What you need in life is not an explanation. It wouldn't help. What you need is the presence of God. You need to surrender your will to the Lord and be content. Thirdly, surrendering means this. Surrendering to God means laying down your plans. Now, 2020 is here and you should set some goals and you should have some desires moving forward this year. But at the end of the day, plans change. <laughs> I know all the control freaks and all the you know, box checkers and blank filler outers, you, know, you don't like you know, flexibility. We have a plan, on it, and we're gonna follow the plan. There are some of you in here that are wired that way. And if you are wired that way and you are trying to grow spiritually, you're gonna have a hard time because God changes plans all the time. Like write them down, have your desires, but be willing and ready because plans don't always work. Sometimes your plans are not good plans. Sometimes your plan is the total wrong plan that God wants you to uh, experience. We live in a sinful world and, and that sometimes means that uh, sinful people are gonna ruin your plan and, 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 and things of that nature are gonna happen and kind of veer us off, so what are you gonna do? Sometimes it wasn't a good plan. It wasn't even a good idea. 
And God's gonna change that. And so we have to surrender our plans to God and say, God, this is my desire. This is what I, what I hope to accomplish, but, but I want your plan. I surrender my will to your plan. Uh, it's the, the song that we sing over and over. It will be on our album this spring when we release the album. Uh, you remember the words to that song. Um, now I, I, I lay me down at the altar over and over, over and over, right? From fear to faith, I surrender over and over, right? Why over and over? Because we might lay it down today and then tomorrow morning we'll, we pick it back up. <laughs> and he says, you gotta continually lay it down, continually lay it down. I gain it all in the letting go, so I'm letting go. God, you're in control. Man, what powerful words and lyrics as we sing that out to God. We are laying down our plans to him. I love what John Calvin once said. He wrote, thy will be done uh, is to submit not only our wills to God, but even our feelings so that we do not become despondent, bitter, and hardened by the things that befall us. Surrendering our wills is, is, is yes, it's, it's, it's our wills to God, but it's also our, our feelings. So yes, our plans, but also our feelings. God, I am mad, I lay it down before you. I am angry, I lay it down and I surrender to you. God, I am frustrated, I surrender that feeling to you. You know, our prayer is typically, my kingdom come, my will be done, who gives a rip about heaven? <laughs> it's typically how we think. We may not say that, but that's how we live. And he's saying, I want you to submit yourself. I want you to lay it down. When you surrender your will to the Lord, life change happens. Your life changes. Maturity begins to take place. I love what Martin Luther, the reformer, said. He wrote, grant us grace. This is a prayer. He's saying, grant us grace, God, to bear willingly all sorts of sickness and poverty and disgrace and suffering and adversity and to recognize that in this your divine will is currently crucifying our will. See, the point that he's trying to make is, is in order for us to get to a point of surrender, the Lord sometimes has to crucify our will. And so he brings adversity into our life and that adversity begins to crush our will, begins to crush our desire so that then we can pick up and say, God, your will be done. You gotta surrender your will. Acknowledge, declare God's greatness, surrender your will. And then number three, acknowledge your dependency. Acknowledge your dependency. Acknowledge your dependency on God. He says, give us today our daily bread. Right? And so the first thing that we're acknowledging to God in our prayer life is our daily needs. We need daily needs met. <laughs> we need our daily you know, quotia for food and we need shelter, right? We need all of these things. We need clothing. God, grant us the grace to have our daily needs met. I love what Augustine wrote once. He said, give me neither poverty lest I resent you or riches lest I forget you. <laughs> I love that because essentially what he's saying, God, don't let me get... Don't, don't let me you know, be poor because if I'm poor, then I'm, I might be tempted to resent you. And don't make me rich, God, because if you made me rich, then I'm gonna trust in my riches and, and I'll forget about you. So give me what I need today, my daily bread. Prayer is acknowledging our dependency. God, I need you today. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So this, this dependency is also a need for forgiveness. God, forgive me. 
So it's a moment of confession. Every time we're with the Lord, I confess my sins, known sin. There are sin in my life that I don't know about, God. I confess the unknowable sins in my life and and I pray that you would open up my eyes and ears and heart to know what that sin is, that I I know it's hurting somebody in my life, I know it's hurting me, help me to be aware of that. So we confess sin, known sin, unknown sin. And then he says, as we also forgive our debtors. (laughs) So in prayer every day, we're receiving forgiveness or asking for forgiveness, confessing that sin, and then we're also forgiving those in our life that hurt us. Why do we have to do this daily? Because forgiving someone is really a daily practice that needs to take place. You know, God always closely connects our relationship with him and our relationships with others. So if you're at odds with your spouse today, if bitterness has crept into your heart, it is a good sign if that horizontal relationship with someone in the room or someone in your life is is at odds, it's it's a good indicator that your vertical relationship with God is also in turmoil, It's, it's kind of messed up. That's why he says, forgive those who've hurt you. So every day we're forgiving, we're releasing those people who have hurt us. Bitterness that grows in our heart is is really a hypocritical habit. God, forgive me, forgive me, I need your forgiveness, but I'm not forgiving him. Man, he really hurt me. And he says, no, every day you lay that down. Every day you lay that down. And some days you feel like you're doing good and the next day you don't feel like you're doing good because it comes back up, but you continually seek to forgive that person that hurt you. And then he says, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, we acknowledge our dependency for protection. Protection in two ways, inward sin in our life, inward sin that, that might befall us, that we might run after. He says, lead us not into temptation. And so protect us from the sinful di- desires that are within me, the sinful temptations that, that I, I deal with on a daily basis. Protect me from myself, God. And then he says, I want you to also protect me from a physical standpoint because he's saying, deliver us from the evil one. So protect me from Satan's plan to harm me. Protect me from the enemy's plan that would cause harm to my family or cause harm to me. So I'm I'm, I'm dependent on God. I'm, I'm acknowledging that dependency by asking him to lead me away from temptation, give me strength internally, but then also externally, physically, God, protect me from the enemy's plans against me. I'm so dependent on you, God. I need you every second of my life. Depending on God means that I'm connecting to him as the ultimate priority and the ultimate source of everything. He's the aim, he's the purpose of life. And so I connect to him in prayer. So I acknowledge him mentally, internally I'm acknowledging him, I'm saying it in my mind, but I'm also verbalizing it. When you pray, verbalize it out loud, say it out loud to him. God, you are my source of all things. God, you are the giver of all good gifts. Jesus, you, in you, I find hope and joy and forgiveness and love and joy. You, God, are my source. You provide everything that I need today, tomorrow, yesterday, for all time. See, there's, a, there's probably one of two mentalities that you're wrestling with. You, you might have a scarcity mentality And that mentality says that there's not enough and so you should panic and uh, you shouldn't be be generous because there there may not be enough to go around to to restore that in in, in your life. So so hang on tight to what you have and don't, don't, don't be generous to anybody, right? 
But the abundance mentality is different. The abundance mentality recognizes that God is the giver of all good gifts, that his resources are endless, and that I can freely give forgiveness, that I can freely give and be generous in my life. Why? Because I serve a God who is fully supplied and will fully supply all of my needs. So as soon as I give, God just gives it right back to me and, and he sustains and he fulfills. So, so we get to the point to where we acknowledge our dependency on God. So what are you doing in secret? What do you do in secret? What you do in secret really tells the story of your life. Are you going to God in prayer? Are you hallowing the name of God, esteeming him as holy, as your priority? You see, prayer is essentially about what you value the most. What do you value the most? If Jesus is your ultimate value, then prayer is a significant part of your life. What do you value most? I'm not talking about what you think or what you say you value most, but what is it? When you get into your room, when you get alone with God and you begin to do these things consistently in your life, life change happens in your heart and around you. So here's what we wanna do to close the day. I wanna give you a moment. We've created some space. Nobody leave. Let's just respect the time and respect the, the, the people around you that they're gonna take this serious. And that would mean that we would take a moment to actually practice what we've talked about here. So, so here's what we're gonna do. This is essentially the outline for today. This is the outline for the prayer. What do we do, God? How do we pray? I don't know how to pray. Jesus, tell us how to pray. Well, here, here's what you do. You declare God's greatness. You surrender your will. You acknowledge your dependency. How long should that take, God? Well, you trying to control things in your life? Kind of control the situation? Probably should spend a little bit more time on number two there. Probably hang out there for a moment and kind of revisit that. How, how much time, you know, do, should I spend on, on, on acknowledging, you know, my dependency on God? Well, uh, you know, how are you doing with forgiveness? Still holding a grudge? Should probably spend some time there, a little bit longer than usual, right? And so the prayer is not to recite, the prayer is to guide us. And so in this moment, for some of you, Maybe you've never prayed before. This will be like a, a life-changing moment for you. For, for others of you, maybe your prayer life has become stagnant. Let's do something today that will actually encourage you and actually bless you and give you some direction tomorrow when you go into your room, you close the door, and in secret, you pray to your heavenly Father. You guys ready? Let's do it. Just bow your heads. Just you and God right now. No one else in the room, just you and God. Let's spend a moment here and declare the greatness of God. Tell him how great he is. Declare his greatness. Tell him that he is your priority. Tell him that he is your source of joy. Hallowed his name. Surrender your will to him right now. Say, God, whatever you desire, whatever you want, it's your will. Your will be done in this situation. There's a situation going on in your life right now. You're trying to control it. You want change to take place, you want it to happen. 
Tell him right now, say, God, your will be done. Tell him, I let go of control. I'm letting go. I'm letting go. You're in control, God. You're in control. Lay down your plans. Your plan and God's plans are all sometimes different, many times different. Lay it down before him. Lay it down before him. Asking for contentment right now. God, give me contentment with this situation. Pray for that contentment. Acknowledge your dependency upon him now. Acknowledge to him that you need what you need today. God, give me daily bread. What I need today, you know what I need, God. Tell him what you need. Ask him to do it. All over the room, let's seek his forgiveness now, confessing your sin to him. Sin is in your life that you would need to confess. God, all over the room, we seek your face. We humble ourselves. Give us, grant us this grace. All over the room, let's stand to our feet now. Let me close us in prayer. I think posture is important in prayer. When you're alone, maybe you know, we do it on Wednesday nights, but lifting your hands in prayer, kneeling on your knees, on your face before God. All of this is posture I think that God honors and that God values and it helps our heart, it helps our mind understand who it is we're talking to. And so uh, maybe just as a closing prayer today, we just might lift our hands up. You might just bow down wherever you're at. Let's pray together all over the room. God, we seek your face. God, we desire change. God, we wanna see a movement. We wanna see your hand. We wanna see your sovereign work, God. And so we acknowledge our dependency upon you. God, we surrender our will. You do it. Do your will, God, in our church, in our family, in our life. God, we, we seek to forgive those who have hurt us and we seek your forgiveness today, God. We love you and we praise you all over the room. God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.